the goal is to seek and make as much money you can in the short term and then invest it for the long term. In this podcast, we take you with us on a journey about economics and investing. By being equipped with different perspectives, we strive to make better and more informed financial decisions. Welcome to Capital Convos. So Diego, in the last episode, we discussed how you can at least manage to save some of your money. And the question now that follows that obviously is how to proceed further. What are the next steps? So let's just say you can afford to save a hundred dollars a month. We're translating it over to the Suriname situation. People don't have that high of a standard of living. So let's just say the average Joe saves a hundred dollars a month. Where do you think we can go from there? Just some possibilities to consider how to save $100 a month. So just to clarify here, when we're talking about $100, we're talking about $100 US dollars for reference. And as we stated before, briefly in the previous episode, the situation here in Suriname is, you know, it's not as prosperous for the average Joe to see or even earn that much. I want to bring this into perspective because we found a interesting website, I think last week, two weeks ago, and that I shared with you, uh, Nambio that kind of averages out how much the cost of living is in certain cities around the world and how much the average income is and what people spend the money on. And it kind of benchmarked this to New York being the one index. So surprisingly, there was data for Paramaribo, uh, albeit I'm not sure how accurate the data is, but it is a starting off point to, you know, a, get some assumption. And I assume the people who submitted the data, it averages it out. As you can see, it's kind of ranging with the medium, median in between to show what the average is. And according to this, the medium income or the, the average salary would be around equivalent to 300 US dollars for the average Suriname person. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. And I assume this data is based on the rates from a year, two years ago before this, yeah, I didn't mention again, but yeah, let, let's just use this as our jumping off point. So $300 and we're talking about investing a hundred dollars per month. That's already one third of basically your salary. Wow. And one third, according to traditional breakdowns of personal finance, one third usually goes to your rent and then you have another 20, 30% for living costs, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I believe I've heard that 10% of your salary would be, should go towards investing. Is that about right, Diego? That's the general consensus. I, I don't think there's a black and white rule on that. So the, the general traditional consensus is like five to 10% of your savings to invest easily 50 to 60% is your rent and other living costs. And then you have some spending money, et cetera. Yeah. And then some savings. All right. So we're assuming that whatever they can save is a, and it, whatever they can invest is around a hundred dollars a month. And then we'll just take it from there. Am yeah. I right? As we mentioned before in the previous episodes as well, we talked about this buffer, right? That's six, six months buffer. Can you live six months without any sources of income? And that's the buffer I would first advise. Yeah. And that's called valid advice suggest on personal experience as well to save up for that before even thinking about investing. You're, you're bringing on something interesting, which is there's a difference between saving and investing. So before we start investing, you should have at least a six months buffer in savings cash at the bank. Am I right? Yes, exactly. 
basically liquid assets. With liquid, we mean the amount of money you can use immediately to either buy or yeah. buy something. Yeah. Okay. Great. So assuming that someone has saved up cash at the bank six months. Okay. So they can afford to survive if something happens, they lose their job or they get kicked out, something unfortunate happens because those things you never know when they might happen. You never know when you might need some cash. All right. And then going forward, we can start getting into the investing gates. Now let's say someone's at the start of their investing journey. All right. It looks very intimidating. There's so many fun, so many possibilities. Everyone has a different opinion. There are so many scams out there. How do you even get started without getting overwhelmed? Before you get started, um, as you said, we've cleared the basic obstacles already. Check mark. And one caveat I want to bring in into that before I mention where to start even is say you didn't have the six month buffer and you already started investing and something happens to you or you need to pay off a bill, insurance or something. It beats the purpose of investing because then you'll have to dig out your money from your investment and that works against you. So you kind of wasted your time, energy, and maybe even transfer costs, brokerage costs that you could have spent elsewhere. And the basic compounding effect, but we'll talk about compounding in a bit, that's kind of diluted. Yeah, because sometimes your investments don't go up in a straight line. Sometimes they go down and you do not want to sell when things are down. So let's just say you're investing $100 it dropped to $80. For some reason, those things happen. You do not want to sell at a loss just because you didn't save enough money. You want to leave your money. Just don't touch it. Just let it grow. So the first thing I want to start with to think about investing is understanding the rule of 72. Have you heard of the rule of 72? I actually haven't. And I'm a professional investor. <laughs> so please, what is the rule of 72? So the the rule of 72 is a simplified calculation. Obviously it's not absolutely accurate, but they rounded it up to 72 and it's used in investing, can be used in business, but the rule of 72 basically gives you an indication how long it would take to double your money based on an interest rate and annual interest rate. Mm. So say, talk about the S&P 500 later, but the, the return of the S&P 500 was between eight, 9% annually average over the span of the past 50, 60 years, right? Yeah. So let's, let's take the 8%, 72 divided by eight equals nine. Yeah. So if you spent a hundred dollars today and we assume that within a year, you get at 8% yearly, mm -hmm. it would take nine years, 72. T2 divided by eight, it would take you nine years to make that 100 double to $200. All right. Great. And the trick would be, I suppose, is when you at least have, when you picture possible investment categories, you look at what might give you the best return. But secondly is put that into a context of how much you can earn over X amount of years. And if you know, if you can actually put that into perspective, put it in real terms, you can double your money in what amount of time, then we can at least have this relatively simple benchmark, really easy. Just try it out. Yeah. So basically if you want to double your money in two years time, 72 divided by uh, two 
equals a 36% interest, which is kind of a fantasy, right? Uh, uh, 36% repair, basically. It's kind of a fantasy. But Diego, there are so many people online that can promise a double amount of money in, in two weeks. What do you mean? What do you mean 36% is a bit unrealistic? What would you consider to be realistic? That's why I'm using this as the benchmark. I'd consider realistic the, the S&P 500 proven track record history. Mm. Anything maybe with, you know, a good year, maybe 15, 20%. Yeah. But anything beyond that, you have to start being skeptical, asking questions like, how is this even possible or what's the catch? There is always a catch. Yeah. Sorry. That's interesting. So you brought on a different element here, which is the risk. So if we benchmark the S&P 500 as the gold standard, you're saying that if you want more than that, you would assume an extra level of risk. Yes. And if you were to receive less than that, you would have to assume a lower amount of risk. And if let's say someone can give you 6%, but it's riskier than the S&P 500, that means it isn't a really good investment because you, for the same risk, you can invest in something that gives you a higher return, mm. right? Okay. That's interesting. All right. Do you understand the rule of 72 uh, now? Yeah. It's a basic it's, calculation, you know? Yeah, I get it. Double time, 72 divided by interest rate. Yeah. So okay. it's an easy calculation. You can estimate like, okay, I want to make X amount. I have to have this amount mm -hmm. if you want to just do the S&P. 500 crowd. To stack onto that, next thing to think about is inflation. And you know all about inflation. Oh yeah. Surinamese people know all about it. Maybe you can, you can describe it better in short, what inflation is, and then I'll tie it into this, how you can use these two indicators or tool on how to better understand which route of investment is right for you. All right. So inflation can basically be defined as a general increase in the price of living. So you have a hundred dollars and let's just say over the course of two years, one year, two months, doesn't matter. That same $100 bill can buy you less goods because the price of those goods has increased. How does that get into investing? Could you please explain that link? So if we keep the rule of 72 in mind and we take the benchmark of the S&P 500, 8%. So the annual inflation rate of the U.S. dollar over the, the past you know, 10, 20, 30 years has been the target interest rate, inflation rate has been about 2%. Am I right? Yeah, exactly. 2%. So this subtracts from your actual 8%. So in actuality, you have 6%. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is your real return. Exactly. Okay. C could you explain the difference between a real return and what they would call a nominal return? The nominal return doesn't take inflation into account. It just assumes the gains you get. But say 10, 20 years from now, if you haven't taken inflation into account, the amount, it seems like you've made a lot of money, but you can buy less yeah. with that same amount of money if you had that money today. Exactly. And if you were to subtract the inflation from that, you get the real interest rate, which is adjusted for inflation. Yeah. All right. And that equals the same amount of buying power. Exactly. So for a Surinamese person, you could say that we would, we wouldn't have to work with SRDs. We would work with us dollars Then we would just convert whatever we get into us dollar and whatever return you get in us dollar terms, that would be considered 
your real interest rate, the nominal, the, the real return on yeah. investment. I, I wouldn't particularly say the US, just the US dollar, but yeah, you want to be invested in a currency that's kind of more predictable, not as volatile. So that is why we always, or most of the time we refer to the US dollar. If yeah. you're in Europe, Euro, but mm. countries like Suriname, where the economy is unstable, other uh, parts of Latin America, there's a lot of inflation. Look at Venezuela, look at Argentina. You can't really count on the local currency exchange rate to work on that compounding and plan ahead. Exactly. Exactly. Because over here, there, there was a big hubbub that the central bank was offering 20% nominal interest rates just to keep your money at the central bank. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of returns you can get. But if you dig into account for inflation, that return of 20% might actually be like 5%, 6%. And at that point, it just doesn't really sound like an interesting investment. So just to separate the nominal return from the real return. I want to add to that example, just to me, you know, how important inflation is into this context. So the savings accounts here in most banks, if you receive in foreign currency, like US dollar or the Euro, it's kind of non-existent, right? It's kind of half a percent, 1%. Exactly. So if you compare that you and you have a savings account here, you're actually losing money. Exactly. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely. So it would actually cost you money not to invest your money. That's insane. Yeah. And that is where alternative or basically investing comes into play. We assume you understand inflation. We assume you apply the rule of 72 to get a base projection of where you want to go. And we assume you already have the six month buffer to survive. You've been in the investing field for yeah years now uh, in Suriname and we've known each other for years. I didn't even know you were in space. You didn't have people to talk to about these kind of topics. So from your experience, what is your take or observation on the current state of investment for the average Joe here? Well, there are different opportunities. It depends on if you're going locally or international. Let, let's, yeah, let's stop local first and then we'll go international. All right. So locally, there's the, the standard possibilities are you go to the bank, you get a term deposit, you see, or you get a savings account, you get minimal returns on that, but the risk is very low. It's there's almost a 0% risk that your local bank is going to default and you won't get any of your money back. All right. So for reference, what's the percentage of return they are giving you for such a term? It would depend on what currency. So for the SRDs, the local currency, the returns are around 20%. If you or at, let's just say 20% because it could get more complicated than that. For the US dollar, I believe it was around a little bit lower than 2%. What's the highest you've seen? Uh, for the US dollar? Yeah. Or for everyone? For, for everything. I'd say for the SRD is 20%. Yeah, it's the highest I've ever seen you locally, but that's part of some macroeconomic policy developments. And the US dollar, I believe last I checked, it was around 3.5% two years ago when I actually started looking, but now it's sub 2%. You're, you're lucky if you can get 2% on the US dollar. Yeah, I think I remember the 3.5%. One of my friends actually got into that one. But even then, you're barely outpacing inflation of the US dollar. Yeah, exactly. And also, just to play devil's advocate, the interest rate on the US dollar, so abroad, 
that is around, I believe, 1.4%. So even if you can get 2% at your local bank here in Suriname, that's actually a lot. That's actually a lot higher than what you can get abroad. So relatively speaking, that could be an interesting investment if one, if 1.7 or 2% is worth it to you. All right. And then the euro, I believe the interest rate on the euro is 0.5. I could be mistaken, but abroad in Europe itself, it's negative. I believe the, yeah. the interest rate is 0. negative 0.25. Yeah, I, I think in Germany, you basically pay the bank to have yeah, money in it. That is absolutely insane. Could you imagine you put your money, you save your money at the bank and you have to pay them. You got the local situation down for a point of reference. So mm-hmm. what's the possibilities for locals to invest or have a savings account internationally from it, your observations? To get access to the big brokers abroad, so the U.S. banks, you need a U.S. bank account. And it's, it's pretty difficult to get one of those. I believe you need to be, in, if you're already in the U.S., I will highly suggest you open up a bank account. If you're there, it's pretty easy. But if you're not there, you would need a visa. You would um, send some documents over just to make sure that you aren't money laundering. or it, The uh, KYC rules, know your client, the compliance, it's, it's pretty tough. All right, so it isn't one, two, three easy to open up a bank account. But once you have that bank account open, it's really easy to get into one of the big brokerage accounts. And through your brokerage account, you can buy a whole ton of assets. But let's just say you want a different route. You don't, you aren't able to open up a bank account abroad. There are brokerage accounts, brokers that offer their services, but there are, they are less stringent than the U.S., for example, because the U.S. is very regulated. So it's, it's very possible to open up account over there, but we'll leave that for the next episode where we'll do a bigger deep dive. So stay tuned for that. So the, the biggest pain point here that we're trying to address is getting that access to a account or a bank or whatever to actually buy stuff off the market. So to quickly recap on what you said, you know, local possibilities, term deposits are basically the most lucrative for the average person if, if you want to invest locally. Yeah, if, if you really want to make your money work for you, you need to compete or you need to enter the world market, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and that's a shame because we actually have a stock market over here. Very few people know that. I believe there are 10 or 12 uh, listed companies and their stocks get traded up, I believe, twice a month. All right. But... Like we just said, with inflation, the stock price doesn't stay up to date with inflation. So the stock price might go up from 100 to 200, but, in, but if inflation is more than that, you're actually still losing. Just out of curiosity, are the stock prices here for um, our local stock market price in SRDs or in US dollars? Yeah, it's in local currency. So, so, yeah, so yeah, yeah, you need to dig so inflation into it. My take, the moment you have to think in local currency and local currency is pretty much unstable. It is not a smart move for a long-term investment. Investment is you are investing for the long-term, 10, 20 years from now. Yeah. So you need that predictability. Yeah, exactly. Because let's just say, for example, if you invested 20 years ago at, I would say, 10% interest rate, like that would be nothing. Because I believe 20 years ago, the, the local exchange rate was uh, 2.75, if I'm not mistaken. And now it's... What, 21, 22. So that's almost at eight times. 
So we, we got that covered. We'll cover that extensively on the types of accounts you can open, the types of assets to look at in future episodes. But there's one more thing I want to uh, cover in this episode on when you think about investing, what you have to take into account. Then have you ever heard of the 4% rule? No, I haven't heard of that one either. Ah. So the 4% rule is another simplified calculation that helps you make a projection over time. And it's very, it's calculated conservatively, assuming the worst happens to your investments. So the first thing to keep in mind is when you start investing, the goal is to seek and make as much money you can in the short term and then invest it for the long term. Okay, can you please repeat that? The goal when you're starting investing is to make as to make and save as much as money as possible in the short term to be able to invest this for the long term. Mm. So you can retire basically, so you can basically live off your investment. Ah, okay. I see what you mean. And this is where the 4% rule comes in when you want to do that calculation. Mm -hmm. So the 4% rule takes into account your spending basically. So in a previous episode, we talked about spending habits and look at your biggest cost, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So look at your expenses, yearly expenses. And then the goal to strive for this yearly expense should be 4% of your net worth. So can you please explain what a net worth is? Yeah. So for just, just for a quick definition, what's net income? Net income is the amount, is your growth amount of payment. That would be your net income is what you have at the end of the day in your bank account when you get your salary. That subtracted all the taxes and all your health insurance, premiums, whatever, all of that. All right. So that's what you have to spend. Okay. Gotcha. So, and we're talking, when, we're, when we're referencing net income, we're talking about the net income annually. So per year. So okay. assume you make, let's take the $300 average here, for example. So the average person here in Suriname, 300 times 12 would make around $3,600 a year. Yeah. Okay. That's your net income. Yeah. And we are looking at it through this lens for to apply this rule from an expense point of view. Yeah. From an expenses point of view. Okay. So you got income and expenses. So income is the amount of money you earn after taxes, everything, every year, your net worth is everything you own, the, the total value of everything you own, including income, your investments, your real estate, your house, usually the house you're living in gets excluded from that because that's a liability because you have to pay costs, the maintenance, etc. But we can go into the nitty gritty of that in another time. <laughs> but for simplicity's sake, your net worth is the total amount that your worth be denominated in US dollar or whatever currency to show what your net worth is. You usually see this, you know, Amazon or Jeff Bezos has a net worth of something. Mm -hmm. that, that doesn't mean he has billions of dollars. He is valued at the billions of dollars. Yeah. So everything Jeff Bezos owns or everything the person that listens to this owns, that would be considered your net yeah. worth. Okay. And Great. to tie this into the 4% rule, if you would want to retire based on your expenses, you have to strive for that your expenses 
should be covered by 4% of your net worth. All right, so in the case of the average Surinamese person, let's just say they need $3,600 a year to survive. You would need to have an investment portfolio generating a 4% return that would equal to $3,600. If that is their expense. Yeah, if that is their expense. Yes. If you want to live at a higher standard of living, then you would need a higher portfolio a larger portfolio, or you need to get a higher return on investment. Yeah. So we could probably make a quick calculation. Uh, let's say, let, let's round it off to $4,000. Okay. $4,000 yeah. is your expenses. 4% to make 100% of your portfolio, you have to multiply 4% by 25, right? Yeah. Yeah. So 4% is your expenses. So what should your portfolio be? 4,000 4, times 25 is 100,000 US dollars. So yes. theoretically, based on the 4% expenses to live here in Suriname and you won't want to work again, your portfolio should be at least $100,000. Yeah. So you can live off the returns of your investment. So you don't even get it. You don't even have to touch your, in, your initial uh, investment portfolio. You can just live off of the returns. Yeah. Okay. Great. That's it. That's very interesting. So. For the average Surinamese person, that actually isn't a lot of money because I see in, in it's affordable actually. Yeah. If you look at the cost of living and this is why I always say we don't have it as bad because our cost of living relatively to some place like New York is very, very cheap. Yeah. $3,600 is basically one month of rent in New York. <laughs> that, that is a lot of money. So I see a lot of people using this strategy and maybe the listeners can learn from this is they study, they move abroad, and then when they've made their money, they just come back here when they're in their 40s, in their 50s. And let's just say $1 million in the United States isn't that much, right? You can, you can retire comfortably, but if you have a million dollars here in Suriname, you will live like a king. Yep. Wow. That's the perspective I want to bring into this, that take these things into account, apply the rule of the 72 to get a future perspective, apply the 4% the rule to gauge how much you would want your portfolio to be, to put targets for yourself. Like, okay, if I want to live here, even if you want to move abroad, take these things into account. There are websites that have averages, like the website we use, what the cost of living is in New York, what the cost of living is in Singapore, what the cost of living is in Europe or Asia. And Asia is pretty cheap, actually. Really? But yeah, we can check that out the, after the podcast. Okay, so Diego, we've touched on a lot of subjects in this episode. Could you please give a, this is small summary of what we talked about. We set a speech uh, in the beginning. We assumed you already had a six month buffer in cash, liquid assets. We assume you have calculated your expenses that like we mentioned in the previous episode. And then we mentioned some tools, models, calculating models that you could use to kind of set a target for you and how to invest a kind of minimal amount, right? So the, the first thing we touched upon was the rule of 72. This is basically a very simple formula to see how long it would take to double your investment in based on the interest rate you get on there. Yeah. Uh, the second thing we took into account was inflation rate and how this plays a role. And important here is your nominal return and your real return. And lastly, we talked about the 4% rule, which is basically 
the striving target if you would want to retire early, basically a target for what your portfolio should be. 4% should cover your yearly expenses, your living expenses. Okay. And if you have that and you invest in your portfolio, like in, in on the long term, that would last you pretty much a lifetime. All right. Great, Diego. So we've established a starting point. Okay. In the next episode, we'll look into asset classes, what type of accounts you can open, what are real realistic returns you can expect with those assets and what other frequently asked questions about those assets. All right. So I believe you can close it off here. Thanks, Diego. Hope you guys learned a lot. Thanks for, you know, challenging some of these things and hope you've learned something. Look it up. Our tools and models that we've used, at least I have used myself to look at, but do the numbers yourself. They're not very accurate, but they're a good starting point to start your journey. Yeah. And that's great because when people start investing, they get very overwhelmed. So it's easy. It's a really good idea to simplify things. See you in the next one. The information in this podcast is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional financial advice. All content, including text, graphics, and images contained in this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not replace a consultation with your financial or tax professional.